This is Wolfish on Web3. Your guide through the new world of blockchain, crypto, DeFi, NFTs, and knowing yourself as your greatest asset. Now that's Wolfish. With your hosts, Dwayne Moffat and Jake Anderson. All right, what's up, everybody? We're back again for another episode here on Wolfish on Web3. And we got a uh, a House Wolf Den team member, somebody who dives into a lot of the analytics and crypto taxes and has figured out a lot of the things that I think a lot of people really shy away from. So we we need people like this in our world because it really helps us pull together the very necessary components on Web3 crypto investing and in a way that 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 gives you the clarity you need on how to make decisions and and move forward. And, you know, something I'm really excited about on this interview, too, is Maddie Dubs, who we have today, is somebody who really shows up in the Guardian Academy. He's very active and always has very insightful things to say in terms of behavior and how to and really just how to navigate the space. So I'm excited for this interview. Dwayne, you and I have been talking about it, and we're excited to have him on. So, Maddie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, fellas. Excited to finally be on. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, seeing you around the, you know, Wolf Den and TGA and all that. You're a very familiar name, even a familiar face with all your YouTubes that you did earlier on, like, you know, all the onboarding videos about how to set up MetaMask, you know, if... Uh, if people want to go and check you out on YouTube, there's a lot of very good educational videos out there that you've, you've done. Um, so like we, we could cover so much ground here. Uh, how about we just start at the start here and, you know, give us a little bit of background because a lot of our listeners, we've got great support from the Wolf Den and TGA and stuff. So, and a lot of them will recognize your name, but you know, they might not know a little bit about you. So, you know, fill us in a little bit there. Yeah. Where, where, where should we go with it? Should we start with uh, crypto background or how the hell I ended up in Australia? Or where, well, yeah, yeah. Where do you guys want me to go with it? How are the waves today? <laughs> very small. Yeah, very small. I think um, like we were talking about before, it's like sometimes the, the weather is pretty volatile in these spring seasons. And it's not that the weather is bad. It's just that you made a bad clothing choice. And uh, same <laughs> kind of goes for surfing. It's like the waves are never bad. You just made a bad board choice. And so today I brought out the biggest board that I have. And even though they were probably less than one foot waves, everyone's like, oh, good luck. You're going out for a paddle with benefits. And I'm like, you'll see. <laughs> awesome. awesome. That's cool. Well, so like one thing I, I am interested in hearing as far as like your story and kind of getting to know you a little bit more. Um, I, I know you come from like the health and wellness space and you work with nu nutrition coaches, if I'm correct in my understanding here but you're also have really moved into, you moved into the crypto space. You provide a lot of insights and value, especially in the guardian Academy for people who are trying to figure out how to navigate the comp, the complexity of web three. What, what was like, tell, tell us a little bit more about how you transition from, from being in, and I, you know, being in the space you were and, and kind of bridging that into the crypto world. Yeah. So actually if we jump further back, from the being in the health and wellness space, like I actually transitioned into that space from um, from a different area. So I actually, um, like most people want to be like an astronaut or a firefighter or something like that when they're a little boy growing up, I, 
uh, I wanted to work on Wall Street. Like I wanted to be a stock investor. I found that fascinating Mm -hmm. Um, because early on in my life, my parents bought this book, a children's book called Growing Money. And I just was so fascinated by the concept that, because I was like earning an allowance as a kid doing chores around the house. I'd get my age in dollars per week. And uh, I was just fascinated with the fact that that money that I was earning, I could actually earn money with that money. And so I was like, oh, you know, I bought some Disney stocks off my parents because <laughs> back in the day, it was like $50 broker free fee to make a trade. Um, so I like saved up, I think it was like $35 a share for Disney. So I saved up for five weeks and I bought my share of Disney stock. And it just happened to be, I think, when Disney was on a bit of a bull run as well. And I was just like, this is amazing. You know, my money made me money. And so I was obsessed. And I was like, I want to be a stock trader. I want to be a stock trader. And uh, that kind of continued. I actually, uh, the first university that I went to, um, I went there because they were planning on putting a quantitative finance program in place. This is back when like, you know, the high volume trading and uh, computer science and finance were kind of coming together. And so I went to that university with the expectation that that program would kind of go forward. Um, But after my first year, they decided to scrap the program. Um, So I ended up moving out to California and just rather than being interested in finance, I actually found um, entrepreneurship and business in the startup world, um, especially tech startups to be really fascinating. Um, And so I actually was involved with a tech startup um, kind of as I was transitioning out of college and just out of college. And um, I really enjoyed it, but I just found a passion for health and fitness. I found myself spending so much time in the gym and, um, you know, researching a lot when it came to nutrition. So I thought, hey, this is where, you know, my passion kind of lies. Maybe I transition. And so that that kind of brought me into the health and wellness field. And I became a nutritionist and had a pretty successful career there. So yeah, transitioned towards, um, you know, mentoring other coaches and kind of built out a business where, you know, other coaches were, you know, uh, helping people with their nutrition, uh, based off the program that I'd created and, um, you know, eventually started helping some other folks build their business. And then since I've kind of transitioned back into kind of the, uh, tech and finance intersection, which is kind of web three and decentralized Mm -hmm. finance. So it was this kind of big full circle swing with a little detour in, in health and fitness, which taught me a ton about, you know, behavior change and, um, a lot of things that actually, funny enough, translate into uh, investing and, and decentralized finance and all that. One of the things that I just pulled out of that whole story was uh, playing your game. Like it sounded yeah. like right right from a young age, you were just like already knew I need to play my game. <laughs> yeah, totally. And funny you say that because um, the thing that really got me obsessed with investing as a kid was that I wanted to play N64 games. Like I really wanted a Nintendo 64. And so <laughs> I did, like I literally worked my butt off. So between like the entrepreneurship and the, you know, buying stocks and putting some money in a high yield savings account, I was like, I'm going to earn that Nintendo 64. I want to play Star Fox and Mario Kart. <laughs> awesome. And I did it. And it was like, you know, that dopamine release. It was like, you know, a lot of effort. And then yep. finally, it was like video games, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you got your easy dopamine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, literally came from wanting to play games, <laughs> learning you know, how to play my game. 
one other thing too, I, I, to pull out of like your story that um, they teach in CCA from, I never went through CCA, but I know this is a concept they teach is the, the, like the T versus I learning and understanding how to like learn like the, the natural principles and lessons that can be applied to different domains. So being in health and wellness, being in tech, being in decentralized finance, you know, in stocks like that, you know, shows that you have been able to kind of apply different principles to different domains and, and be successful with it. Is there anything that really stands out to you in terms of, you know, certain um, principles that you really, I mean, we just talked about one play in your game, you know, that's a huge, huge one, especially for us. Dwayne and I talk about that all the time, but is there anything else that really stands out to you through that T learning process that you've been able to consistently apply through, you know, this circle journey that you've had in these different domains? Yeah, I think um, one that we talk about pretty frequently is like inverting things. I've always been a bit of a contrarian. I think um, going against the grain and seeing like, okay, you know, everybody's saying to zig. Well, just asking as a thought experiment, what happens if I zag? And a lot of times, even if I end up zigging, it's like I've explored like what are the merits or the benefits of zagging. And then, you know, I can probably integrate that while I'm zigging and just zig a little bit higher than everybody else. Um, you know, or it's like, oh, everybody else is doing things in a very silly way, but they're all doing it because, you know, herd mentality. You know, everybody's like, oh, well, everybody else is doing it. This must be the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And then I realize, oh, shit, I just found a better way to do it. And I'm going to do that. And I think that that, that principle is uh, applied across all the domains that I have have been a part of. Yeah, we definitely yeah. See, we definitely see that a lot <laughs> in the in the crypto space. Is the is the it has to be done this way, and you know the herd mentality mm-hmm. and all that. When in actuality, if you watch like you know, let's do it wrong <laughs> and, and build something different because, you know, you watch all these other projects and all the stuff that we've seen over this last year of people just building the same way when it's such a new space, like why not zag a little bit and see what, what can happen if you build it different. So now you're in the crypto world, you must have a story to tell about entering the crypto space. Yeah, yeah. So my first kind of foray into crypto was back in, I think, yeah, I was doing my taxes. I was like, when did my first crypto transaction uh, on on chain? And it was back in like early 2017, because I have a, I had a friend at the gym that I was working at uh, back in 2017. And he was like a really early adopter in the crypto world. And he actually built out um, the first crypto portfolio tracking app called Blockfolio. And I remember one time, it was like early 2017, we were driving together to like Mammoth Mountain or something like that. And he's just sitting there on his app that he created, this portfolio tracker, like looking at the, you know, green and red candles. And um, I was like, what are you doing, man? Like, what's going on? And I just got really interested. And he, you know, just being the fool that I was at the time, I was like, oh, what are your best picks? You know, if I got a thousand bucks to throw at this, like, what should I throw it at? And he was like, oh, this, this, and this. Like, okay, great. And yeah, I was just a complete fool. I just, you know, had no reason why I knew what I was doing. I just followed his recommendations blindly. 
And all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow. And I started pumping more money into, you know, Bitcoin and then eventually Ethereum. And um, I was like, holy crap, I've turned all this money into like 10 times as much money. This is insane. And then that like hopium and all of that kind of burst when, you know, there was an 80% drawback. And I was like, oh, looks like I'm back to where I started. off. <laughs> yeah and uh yeah i was actually um because i didn't know what i was getting into and didn't really have any conviction or reason or knowing why i bought those things i just kind of held on to them you know i was like oh whatever you know that might go to nothing but so be it i kind of accepted that risk and then all of a sudden i just saw that my portfolio started going up again in 2020 and um yeah one of my friends started posting about uh, crypto and his stories on Facebook. And originally I was like, oh, getting the popcorn out. I'm like, I'm going to watch this guy get wrecked. I got wrecked when I tried. Here's <laughs> another person just, you know, going into this uh, this scam. And I was like, oh, I'm like eating the popcorn and being like, wow, he's green candles, green candles. Like, holy crap, this dude's probably making a ton of money. What's going on? And then he had posted about DeFi. And I was like, what's that? What's that acronym? I looked it up and I was like, oh, decentralized finance. What's that? And I just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper. And I was like, holy crap, you know, this is like for the utopian vision, you know, 20 year old that I was, I was like, this is what I was hoping for, like a different financial system being created. I was like, I, I loved investing in all these different financial products and I wanted to be in that world. But eventually I was like, wow, I, I would like to see a different world set up. And I was like, here it is. Like there is a different financial system being set up. And I was like, I'm early. So I just started reading every white paper I could on like Aave and Compound and MakerDAO and all these different early kind of DeFi platforms and um, just started playing with fire. I just started putting, you know, I had all that Ethereum that, you know, I had been holding on to. I was like, all right, what happens if I put it in the Aave and the lending network? And what happens if I, you know, go and try to set up a vault on MakerDAO and, you know, take out a collateralized debt position. And, you know, I was doing all these things, trying to figure out, like, how does this work? And I was like, whatever, I had already written that money off. So I was just like, well, okay, you know, I wrote it off. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's roll the dice here. Let's see what happens. And let's see how these things work. And it just fascinated me. And I continued to go down to the rabbit hole. And, you know, here we are today, um, <laughs> a lot deeper <laughs> in that rabbit hole. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to ask you about um you know you you're when you're kind of telling your story here about you know red and green candles and something that we've observed is uh, we can all agree here like a common behavior in in the crypto space is that seems to be like the only form of a of of analysis or understanding that people will have when it comes to whatever the asset they're involved in it's like if there's green candles then we're good if there's red candles then we probably think it's a scam <laughs> and that seems that's the sentiment you typically will see. And I, I think that something that people really should be more aware of is, is gaining more understanding of the, of the fundamentals and having a, a stronger, you know, framework for discernment of what is truly valuable, understanding what you've invested in and you being so analytical and, and how you look at things. I mean, if you go, if, if anybody goes to your Twitter page and looks at some of your posts, you can see just the thought process and how you break down the analytics. I'd love to hear you just kind of break down a little bit more, expand on how you approach or how you view 
your investments from an analytical standpoint? And what if somebody was invested in crypto, what would be important for them to be aware of and how should they think about, you know, those investments from an analytical standpoint? That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, with everybody, their game's going to be different when it comes to investing. Um, for me, I definitely think about my investments, uh, like the barbell strategy works really well for me. And so, mm. you know, I've got a lot of more like traditional kind of lower risk investments. I know, you know, most people wouldn't necessarily consider real estate a, um, you know, low risk investment, but when you've got the cash flow in kind of the downside is a bit hedged. And if you're like, for me, like a lot of my real estate portfolio now is local, um, I found the biggest risk with real estate was when I did kind of out of state or at this point out of country, you know, investing back in the U.S. when I live in Australia uh, was really high risk. So I divested a lot of my U.S.-based portfolio. And, um, you know, now it's just like, OK, why not own a few places locally that have enough cash flow uh, to cover the, um, you know, the mortgage repayments and all the costs. And then, you know, Australia is kind of a it's quite a different real estate market. There's not as much of like the bubble and burst cycles as the U S. Um, and so I'm like, I've got a good amount that's on the very reliable side of the barbell for people who are listening and don't know the barbell. It's like you essentially allocate, you know, a, a certain percentage of your resources towards like the very safe type of investments on one side you can kind of determine what your asset allocation is towards the like safe, lower risk type investments. And then you would allocate on the other side of the barbell towards very high upside, <clears throat> excuse me, higher risk type of investments, but you wouldn't necessarily be taking on things that fall in the middle, things that like don't have huge upside, but also still inherently have some risk uh, involved with them. So for me, I'm like, okay, well, I've already got, a ton on the like safer side. Um, you know, I like to keep a good cash position <clears throat> or cash equivalents. And so then I'm like, all right, on the other side of the barbell are going to be the high upside things. And, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, well, if I've got a good amount of Bitcoin from back in the day, I've got a good amount of ETH from back in the day, then I probably, if there's another thing that I'm going to invest in that's going to have a high upside, I want it to have a low correlation with those assets where possible. And so for me personally, when I'm looking at like the basket of high upside things on that side of the barbell, um, I'm like, okay, I want them to have a low correlation with the things that are already there. And since Bitcoin and Ethereum were kind of the things that were already there, I was looking for like, okay, what assets show a low correlation to these? And for me, it just happened to be Guardian because, you know, that that token, it's like one, it's like, it's something that I know, you know, I'm close, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like involved with a lot of projects that uh, utilize Guardian as a token in their projects and their ecosystems. And so I kind of know how it works and how it functions and know how to kind of evaluate it and what the risks uh, to it are, as well as what the potential upside factors are. And so for me, like that's important, you know, again, knowing your game, where do you have, you know, the information that you need? And also I was like, okay, I need to figure out, is this correlated to Bitcoin? And so what I've done is essentially learned, you know, what are different ways to kind of look at the correlation of one asset to another? 
And one example, you know, that I've posted about before on Twitter that you might be referencing is calculating the beta. Um, and beta is essentially how correlated is one asset to, let's say, an index for that asset. Because of Bitcoin's uh, dominance over the total market cap of um, cryptocurrencies, uh, I used that as kind of the reference index also because, you know, it's something that, um, you know, I hold in that side of my portfolio. And so with a beta, you're looking at, okay, if let's say Bitcoin were to go up by 1%, I want an asset that either doesn't move by 1% or maybe even moves against it. Maybe it's like Bitcoin's up 1%, you know, this asset's even down 1%. I just want something that's going to not move in tandem with it because I don't want that entire side of my barbell to be exposed to the same risk. Otherwise, why am I buying multiple tokens and exposing myself to the local risks of every token? Why wouldn't I just, you know, kind of buy one and, um, you know, sit in it, one that I really believe in. And so, yeah, I calculated the beta and I learned that, you know, because of some factors, including the fact that the liquidity of Guardian token is um, with US dollar, with BUSD, um, it tends not to move with the market. And so it actually had a very low correlation uh, with Bitcoin and with Ethereum's price action. So I was like, you know, naturally this makes sense to build up a position in this for the high upside portion of my portfolio. Um, and so that's kind of how I've rationalized my own portfolio theory. But again, everybody's going to have a different game. You know, for me, it's like, I kind of know the real estate in my local market here in Australia. And I've got some people kind of on my team, if you will, that really know the market well. Um, and so I have an information advantage there over the vast majority of folks. And so, of course, for me, that's going to be on the reliable side of my barbell. And then, you know, on the high upside, it's like I've spent a lot of time in crypto, more so than you know, let's say compared to someone like me in 2017, just asking their friend for a tip. And so, you know, for me, of course, my my upside, I see it being in crypto and I've got a pretty high, you know, level of specific information within crypto that, you know, allows me to evaluate which positions I want to take. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that that's awesome. <laughs> um I've built a barbell, but not with that much thought into it <laughs> by any means. Um, one of the things though, like when you were researching, when you first got in and you started reading all those early white papers and all that, the the stuff yeah. that you were researching like five years ago, how have you seen it grow over this last five years? Like, have they, have they stayed on track to the white paper? Have they like, what have you seen over the last five years that makes you wolfish on the future of web three <laughs> yeah to be honest i think it's <laughs> i don't know how many have actually grown like i see a lot of people were very let's say maybe euphoric or kind of overstated um what they were going to be able to achieve I, I think here i'm specifically thinking about like um you know anchor protocol and mm -hmm. terra ecosystem and all that um obviously that kind of went up in a fantastic ball of flames <laughs> and you know they had that very utopian ideal of creating decentralized money and it looked like they were moving towards it but you know ultimately there were some serious risk factors that uh you know the the let's say you might call it a tail risk but really they were known risks um they played out 
mm-hmm. you know, and that really set back the idea of decentralized money. You know, it's really, mm-hmm. they were making a lot of progress. A lot of people believed in them. And then all of a sudden, you know, a, a I don't even know if we can call it a tail risk because it wasn't known risk, but a ta- we'll call it a tail risk played out and hurt a lot of people. And as a result, people have a bad taste in their mouth and they're kind of afraid to, you know, invest in something similar for good reason too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's understandable. Um, but with that said, I see that there is also a lot of like copycat type of stuff. I feel like there was a lot of innovation early on where, you know, initially it was like, okay, what, what products can we bring into decentralized finance that exist in the real world? And I think a lot of the kind of high volume, high utility ones like lending networks, for example, you know, Compound and Aave, they really like innovated when they initially created those platforms and a bunch of people just forked the code, you know, mm-hmm. and like maybe made it incrementally better. There hasn't been any like huge quantum leap forward that I've seen in DeFi since kind of its inception in let's say 2020. I'd say, you know, 2020 summer and uh, into, you know, early 2021, that's when I think the biggest quantum leaps were made forward. And I've seen a lot of products that are almost unnecessarily complicated that then have come out. And the problem with complicated smart contracts is that there's a high likelihood of attack vectors uh, potentially being there. So I think they're going to kind of um, struggle with scaling those those solutions because the more money that ends up in those smart contracts, the more lucrative it's going to be for you know some black hat folks to kind of try to take advantage of it. And then the other problem is a lot of these things are so complicated and the technicians who are building it don't know how to actually communicate the value of it to people. Or, you know, we look at diffu- uh, yeah, diffusion of innovation and the technicians too early on are trying to define how the thing should be used, that it's not actually getting adoption. Um, I've seen so many projects that come in and they're just like great from a technical perspective, but from a utility perspective, it's just like, how do you explain this to people? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think one of the projects that I liked early on called Twin Finance that has gone defunct long ago. Um, I think they were a synthetic asset platform. And I really, for me as a thought experiment, the idea of collateralized debt positions and synthetic assets was really cool. But I'm like, the project is not communicating the value of this at all. And the only thing that is bringing value to their token is the fact that, you know, you can earn really high yields, yield farming it. But I think that money for money narrative, it's like, if you hold this thing, then you'll earn money. One, that's going to be regulated very soon. And two, it's not a very sustainable model. Yeah. So, you know, I see a lot of these projects that I don't know. It's so much me too, but it's like the decentralized exchange with an automated market maker, huge innovation in decentralized finance, lending networks coming onto the blockchain, huge, you know, innovation in decentralized finance. Um, but I, I can't really, you know, even oracles, you know, so being able to take off chain information and put it on chain in a verifiable way, like all these things were huge innovations. I haven't seen anything that's like a quantum leap recently. And I'm, I'm really hoping that in this kind of down phase of the market, 
with all these people building that hopefully they're realizing, okay, like, you know, everything that was innovated on before got us to this, you know, high watermark, this high tide mark. We're yeah. down here now. Like we can't keep forking that code and copying that shit and like make another quantum leap forward. So I'm really hoping that there's some kind of innovation going on behind the scenes. And, you know, ultimately I think what's going to give us that next quantum leap, we can't even in this space and time right here, guess what it's going to be. That's going to, uh, you know, take things to the next level. Cause if we could conceptualize it right now, it would just be an incremental, uh, improvement. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so interesting to see, like, I feel like the space of like the blockchain web three space, I feel like I'm standing in the middle of New York city with nothing but foundations and frames all around me and you see this being built but it's it's kind of hard to visualize what the final product's going to look be but it's a it's a massive scale where this really could go because of how disruptive just blockchain technology is but i think people finding the use cases and you know as you say like building these quantum leaps and, and innovation um I think it's coming soon. You know, there's a lot of smart people out there, people way smarter than me that's building on this, uh, on this technology that are going to figure out some, some use cases. And as you said, communicating the value, I mean, even like when it comes to uh, just getting into DeFi, just some of the steps you have to take with setting up a MetaMask and connecting it to dApps and having, you know, security measures in place with the hardware wallet, like a lot of that stuff. I don't think people really want to go through unless there's, you know, some conviction there for them to even get into the space. Um, I want to, I want to shift over to, cause I know you're really getting into everybody's favorite thing in web three, which is doing crypto taxes. And uh, it's funny. Cause I remember, I think Dwayne and I saw it was, it was somebody made a post on Twitter and they were like, you know what? I think I'll just take jail instead of figuring this out. It was just so complicated because going through liquidity pools and everything, um, I love to talk about, you know, what you're doing with helping people through crypto taxes and uh, maybe just start with like what kind of triggered a thought to even take that step into the space of, of, of crypto taxes. Yeah. Yeah. So what really prompted it is the, how much anxiety I felt around doing my crypto taxes once I had to do it for DeFi. Because, like I said, I was pretty much bought a bunch of crypto in 2017 and held on to it until 2020, which is when I started playing around with DeFi protocols. Mm -hmm. And so doing that, the amount of transactions that occur when interacting with a smart contract, and also because I was a bit of a degenerate and just playing <laughs> around with so many things, you know, getting rug pulled <laughs> here and there, and, yeah. you know, occasionally, you know, hitting it big on something. It was just like there were so many transactions to wade through and I didn't know how to do it. So, you know, I saw that there was, or like I'd heard that there were crypto tax softwares. And so, you know, I tried about six of them and ultimately none of them matched up. You know, none of them were like, oh yeah, like there was no, this is how much you owe for taxes. Like I literally trialed six of them, paid for the ones you had to pay for. And some were like, you've lost a hundred thousand. Some are like, you've gained a hundred thousand. Some are like, you haven't made any money. It's like, there was no consistency across these softwares. And I was like, well, there's probably something wrong with them. Um, ultimately I found one that I thought was the least bad option. Um, <laughs> and ultimately, yeah, ultimately what I learned is that a crypto tax software is pretty much a hundred percent accurate. If all you're doing is like, 
going into Coinbase and dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin. You know, it's like really good at recognizing basic transactions on centralized exchanges or even decentralized exchanges if there is a price feed for the uh, token that you're buying on coin market cap. However, you know, as soon as you start yield farming, as soon as you start creating collateralized debt positions, bridging tokens cross chain, like, you know, doing any liquidity provision whatsoever, participating in pre-sales, shit coining with coins that just launched and have no coin market cap price feed. It's like all of those things, the software can't pick it up. And I was like, why, you know, why don't they make the softwares better? Why don't they, you know, instead of taking you like 80% of the way there and leaving this 20% of work that you have to manually review with no idea how to do it. And, you know, it takes hours. It's like, why don't they just take you all the way there? And ultimately what I realized is that these tax softwares, um, their goal isn't to save you money on taxes. Their goal is to make sure that if you hand in a report that they generate and you get audited, that you haven't underpaid because then you're going to end up getting hit with a penalty and interest. And all of a sudden you're going to be going back to them being like, what the heck? You know, I generated this report from your software and now I owe all this money. I trusted you. What's the deal? You know, that's like a PR mm. nightmare mm. for a software company. And so, you know, they're not going to put their neck on the line to save you a couple bucks on your taxes, it falls upon you to be able to, you know, get an accurate tax report. And that's just the reality of the situation. And so once I realized that, and I had all this anxiety around, cause I had to file an extension and I'll, cause I just couldn't figure it out. Um, I was like, you know what? I don't want to feel this anymore. So I'm actually going to learn how to do this. And I just went through and became a student of my own, uh, my own crypto taxes. And through the process, I was like, oh, okay. I started seeing all the patterns. I was like, oh, this is the solution. Oh, now this is much easier. Oh, this is the solution. Now this is much easier. And I just like the way that I usually do things is as I learn it, I kind of document it. And so I documented it and I created a little cheat sheet, especially since for me doing a lot of things within like the Night Swap and Wolf Den and uh, Guardian Academy ecosystem, I was like, oh, I know kind of the contracts for all these things that are handy and I know all the kind of tricks and hacks. And so I just put it into a course and, you know, gave it for free to guardians in the guardian Academy and was like, Hey, how, you know, I made this course. It's free. Like go through it. Let me know if it's helpful. And a lot of people were like, yeah, this is fantastic. Thank you. I would have struggled for hours. Uh, and you saved me a ton of time. It still sucked because it's crypto taxes and I hated every minute of it, but there was less minutes of it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I actually knew what to do. And then other people were like, I know I'm going to hate every minute of this. I tried. Your guides were really helpful, but I just don't want to waste my life doing this shit. So yeah. can you just do it for me? And so I started doing it for folks. Um, so yeah, it really just came from me having a ton of anxiety and deciding, you know what? I'm, I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to figure out how to do this. I'm going to codify it. And yeah, ultimately created a course and, uh, and a service and now even a continuing professional development course for accounts and bookkeepers so that they can start doing this for their clients. Cause I, that was the other thing is I couldn't find any bookkeepers or accountants, especially here in Australia that had any clue when it came to web three and DeFi. Um, you know, they were pretty much just like, Oh, well, how much did you put in at the beginning of the year? And how much do you have at the end? And I'm like, that's <laughs> not accurate. That's not, no, <laughs> can't do it like that. So um, yeah, I just decided to create a solution and yeah, it's kind of caught on like wildf wildfire.
you know, people are really needing the service, especially as we come to the end of the financial year. So with you being in Australia, Jake in the States and me in Canada, this tax software, is it specific like per country or like with crypto being, you know, global, how, how do you define those transactions? I guess it would be country specific to a certain extent, but, but I've heard you talk about categorizing the transactions like yield farming and, and that. So if it's categorized, right, then the software should read it correctly. Is it, am I understanding that? Yeah. So I, I have a good perspective on this because I'm one of those uh, lucky people that they call Americans uh, with a government that's so nice that they tax you no matter where you live. Mm-hmm. And so I have to do tax reports for US and Australia. And ultimately, there's different treatments of different transactions depending on the country. And so the tax software that I like, it's called Coinly. Uh, definitely the least bad one. I like it because for anybody who has a dual nationality like I do, um, or kind of like multiple tax um, kind of residencies over the course of a year, which is possible, um, you can just categorize the transactions and then they're in the settings. You can switch the settings on and off that apply to the different country, which you need to generate a tax report for. So an example would be, Um, There's some precedent in the United States that perhaps uh, yield farming on decentralized exchanges might be equivalent to mining. Now, at the moment, any, like, let's say a Bitcoin miner, the Bitcoin that they earn from mining isn't considered income. It's not taxed as income the moment that they receive it. It's actually not realized as a gain on the miner's uh, tax report until they actually sell it. I'm not an accountant, so this is just my understanding. And there might be some precedent. I think it was from some people who were uh, staking Tezos. Um, So it was a proof of stake network. And essentially, they argued that because the uh, Tezos that they were getting rewarded with was equivalent to mining, it's like those were tokens that were not prior in circulation prior. By staking, they did the work to essentially earn it. It's the same as mining, they believed. Mm You know, they essentially went through a lawsuit with the IRS and said that, you know, we believe that if the tokens weren't in circulation before and they're being rewarded, then it should be considered in tax the same as mining. And the IRS pretty much just like didn't say, okay, that's how we're going to treat it. But they were just like, here's your money back, you know, for, you know, the income tax that we uh, we took from you. And so there might be some precedent there where, you know, staking rewards, yield farming, all rewards, if those DEX tokens are minted and uh, essentially emitted to um, people who are in yield farms, that that might be, and again, you have to consult your accountant here, but that might be treated as mining. And so that might not be a capital gain until uh, you sell it. It just might be where you acquired it for $0, you have a $0 cost basis, the tax doesn't actually happen until you sell. Whereas in Australia, the ATO is very clear. They're like, if you earn it, it's interest and interest is taxed as income. So then I might, on my American tax return, if my accountant says it's okay, I might say that everything that was mining, I've toggled off the setting that says treat mining as income, turn that off. That way it's treated like that in the US. And then when I'm doing my Australian tax return, because the ATO is very specific, that it's like, if you earned it, 
its interest, its income. Then I might toggle on the treat mining rewards as income. And so I can essentially work with my accountants on either side of the Pacific and be like, okay, what settings can I toggle on and off based off of the precedent that currently currently exists and the tax laws in each country? And so I just go through and it doesn't matter what country someone's in. I just label it a certain way and then they can essentially negotiate with their accountant or their tax office about what settings apply to them. And you can actually, um, like when you set your home country, like Dwayne, you'd set it as Canada. And so when you're generating a report, I don't know, what do you guys have? The like Royal Canadian tax office or something. <laughs> the CR CRA, Canadian Revenue Agency. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, you'd have a, a report that's ready for the CRA. Whereas, you know, Jake, you'd have one that's ready for the IRS and I'd have one ready for the ATO. If we set our home countries to um, our respective tax residencies. I have a, I have a random, kind of a random question. I'm like, dying to know i'm hearing that you file tax returns in the united states and australia right yes does that mean are you are you paying income taxes to both countries or is that it sounds like you're getting double tax i'm just curious like for somebody who has dual citizenship is that is that how that works or am i thinking about this different or incorrectly oh uh, well it's it's a bit complicated so it's like if i for example, pay my tax. Usually I pay tax in Australia first because our financial year ends before the US. We do it weird where it's like pretty much from July 1 to June 30. Okay. So for me, it's like I've already paid first half of 2022 taxes to Australia. So then I've got that as a credit in the US and there's some other credits that I can essentially write off. But it's like, if I took a write-off for something that was legal to take as a write-off in Australia and I paid less on my Australian taxes, if that write-off isn't also available in the US, then I end up paying tax on that anyway. So it's like the only tax savings that I actually get are the ones where it's like both countries kind of line up and they both allow you to write that off. Um, so wow, uh, yeah, so it definitely... Wow has major yeah. negative tax consequences. But the thing is, you know, having good accountants, they can usually help you uh, set <laughs> up the right entity structure and um, figure out how to write, make the right moves to kind of minimize the amount of times that you might be double taxed. But there's no like, you know, I don't pay, let's say tax to the US and tax to Australia where they both take 100% of my tax burden. It's just like, um, you know, because I, I live here and this is my main tax residency, I get credits in the U.S. and then I just pay anything over those credits to the U.S. So it sucks. You know, it's it's no fun. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely when you've got a competent uh, kind of team of accountants on both sides of the Pacific, um, it makes it suck less. And <laughs> that's ultimately the thing with taxes. I'm like, crypto tax sucks. Like tax sucks, but. You know, Let's make it make suck it less. Suck less. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So of course, crypto tax software, it's like, which one's the least bad? You know, there's never going to be yeah. one that's like, this is great. It's like, oh, this one's the least bad. <laughs> Can't wait now, to dive into taxes. Yeah. Go ahead, Dwayne. Yeah, <laughs> so you seem like a good guy to ask. If I was going to look for an accountant to handle my Web3 yeah. crypto adventures over the last year, what are some of the things that I should ask him to make sure he's competent like because sometimes i don't even feel like i know the questions to ask my accountant so how how would i go into 
you know, my local top of the notch accounting firm and say, I need a good accountant to handle my crypto taxes? Like, what should I be looking for or asking? Yeah, so I think one thing that would be worthwhile to ask is when it comes to the person who's actually going to be preparing your return or potentially doing your bookkeeping, it's like, okay, what is your experience with crypto and Web3? What have you specifically done? You know, have you yield farmed before? Like, have you just used Coinbase and, you know, traded things? Do you have absolutely no experience whatsoever? You've never, you know, wouldn't touch the stuff and think that it's a scam. You know, I'd really try to feel out like, what's this person's experience level? So my accountant in Australia, I know that he has actually done yield farming. I know that he's actually done some things within DeFi. And so when I'm explaining things to him, he's not a complete Luddite. He's not just like, oh, what's up? Like... (laughs) He's, he's actually like, oh, yeah, I've done that before. And, you know, from my experience, I believe that it should be equivalent to this, you know, tax code. And the other thing is, it's like, you don't just want to go with somebody because they have experience with crypto, because they might be completely incompetent when it comes to actually properly advising you on like, how to have the best entity structure to achieve what you want and ultimately kind of the big picture tax strategy. Because unless your life is 100% DeFi, Web3, crypto, like you still want somebody who's very competent in potentially helping you navigate the other areas of the tax code. And so I think, you know, you want to ask that, but that's not the only filter. The other filter would essentially, uh, for me, when I was interviewing people, I was like happy to, to pay for a consult and see, okay, what would you do with me in terms of like, entity setup, because that was an important one to me. I mean, my dad's a lawyer. I know that like proper entity structure for businesses is important. I also know that, you know, it has major tax implications. And so, you know, I wanted to give them like, here's, here's the picture of everything about me. Now, what would you recommend in terms of best entity structure? Now for me, I'm like a funny situation. Again, I have to pay taxes on both sides of the Pacific. So I need somebody who's going to potentially understand okay, this is how I'm treated over there. Like, how can I get some relief here and vice versa? Or, hey, is that thing you're telling me to do going to save me here and hurt me there? It's like, I kind of need somebody who knows both. So obviously, again, comes to knowing what you need and playing your game, but I would be looking at, okay, does somebody understand your situation? Are they giving you advice that's going to save you or like, you know, potentially save you uh, some money or achieve your goals based off of your situation? A tangible example would be you're like, hey, you know, maybe in Canada, it's like you guys might have you yield farming might be the primary way that you make money in uh, in crypto. And that's a big portion of your income. And, you know, you might be like, OK, uh, Mr. or Miss Accountant that I am interviewing here. Um, what would you say is the best way for me to uh, custody all of my yield farming? Uh, and my goal is I'm going to continue compounding this over the course of five years. You know, they might be like, okay, well, you know, if you were to custody this within a company, the corporate tax rate is capped at this, you know, maybe it's capped at 25%. And so then you'll be compounding 75% of your gains over time. Whereas if you custody it as an individual, we're looking at your income, your expense, your uh, expensable um, costs. And because of your income tax bracket, if you were to custody it personally, it's going to be taxed at 40%. So you're only compounding 60% of it year over year. Therefore, over the course of five years, you know, following this strategy, you'd be better off with, let's say, a corporate entity structure for custodying your crypto. And that's the kind of thing that I'm looking at. It's like, are they actually trying to 
figure out what's my goal and work their way back? Or is this somebody who's just like, I can fill out a form with two <laughs> fingers on my keyboard and then submit it to you know the CRA or the ATO or the IRS. Are they just like, all right, let's get this person in, you know, yeah. how fast can we fill out their tax form? You know, screw everything else. Yeah. We're not gonna save them anything. Now let's just give them a compliant tax form. On to the next one. Something that would be really helpful because I, I remember speaking with my accountant and I got the uh same response that I know a lot of other people in my you know circle who spoke to accountants in crypto. It's like, all right, I'm in, I'm in DeFi. These are the things I'm doing. How should it be treated? And their response was, oh, it's just treated like property. So you could tell that they had no clue of what was even going on. They just looked as like you buy something and then you sell it for a profit later. And then, you know, and that's how we're treating it. They don't understand all the the nuance to yield farming and pre-sales and you know, all the different activities you can participate in in DeFi. So it's, um, that's a really good advice. It'd be nice to have like, maybe like a directory or something of, Hey, these are actually web three competent accountants that, you know, could work in your country. Cause I think, you know, we were talking about this earlier, even on the interview that you, you can work with anybody in the world these days, you know, just because of the internet and the, the tools that it gives you to communicate and being able to have some contacts like that would be super helpful um you know as as people kind of find those accountants that that are competent um yeah, yeah. I mean, you know we've got some right within the wolf den ecosystem with them degree cpas you know oh yeah yeah you know they're fantastic in the u.s i haven't learned of anyone in canada i've got you know a guy in in sydney who if anybody is in australia and needs a accountant recommendation i'm happy to connect to you with him his name is anthony um but yeah, my goal as I like get more accountants and bookkeepers doing the CPD version of my course is to essentially be able to have a directory where it's like, here are people who have gone through my course, they understand it, you know, they are Web3, crypto, DeFi, like informed. And so, you know, if you've done these things, you can be pretty confident that, you know, these people have, have a clue what you're going to be talking about. Because um, I do feel like that was something that was missing. I had no idea how to vet anybody. And I was going through pretty much just like emailing or calling accountants or looking for uh, recommendations and just feeling as though nobody really had a good grasp on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're, so, we're kind of getting near the end here. I wanted to um, kind of wrap up with uh, just a final thought around, um, you know, it sounds like there's a, there's some vision here behind what you're doing with crypto taxes and, in um, and how you're solving that problem, making, making it suck less for people as they go through the process. Would you, would you mind kind of maybe wrapping up with like some final thoughts around, you know, anything that you would love to share about um, how you're building out that solution for people? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, it really started out as just kind of codifying what I was doing and figuring out the solutions, especially kind of the 80, 20. It's like, you know, if you're only going to put a afternoon of work in, to fixing your crypto taxes, how can you save yourself the most money in a compliant way? And so, you know, I put a course together where it's like, all right, you know, if you put in an afternoon of work, you can save yourself a substantial amount on your crypto taxes in a compliant way. But, you know, I've seen a lot of people still don't want to put it in. It just, you know, looking at tax stuff and, you know, going into crypto tax softwares, it just makes their brain melt. It's just not how they're wired. It's not their game. They don't want to play it. And so, you know, we have a service where we actually 
go in and do that for our clients. We go, you know, they give us accountant level access to the Coinly and we just go in and we fix everything that is an error that might be leading to overstating their gains. And, and I've seen people, I've had someone who came to me and their tax software said that they had a five and a half million dollar gain. And by the time that I finished, you know, it ended up showing that they had $120,000 loss for the year. So, you know, the amount that the gains can be overstated or even, you know, potentially the losses not being as deep as they should be, um, it's it's quite common. And so we go through and we do that service for people. Um, and, you know, there's a bigger vision for it, but I'll kind of keep that close to the chest until it's a little closer to being um, ready to release because uh, I think that's going to be one of the big game changers. But um, yeah, the only other side of the vision is to get more people who are competent at doing this. Um, and that kind of comes through the continuing professional development courses for the bookkeepers and accountants of the world who would like to tap into this really underserved market that is only growing. Mm, I love that. So, so if we got accountants and bookkeepers or somebody that wants to get involved with the Web3 world, um, reach out. Like, how do they get a hold of you there, Matty Dubs? Yeah, so they can fill out the contact form on CryptoTaxMadeEasy.com um, or they can just email me, Matt at CryptoTaxMadeEasy.com. Um, and that's for the accountants and uh, bookkeepers to, to mm -hmm. get in touch about the CPD because that's not on the website there. And yeah, anybody else who's interested in uh, in the course or the done for you, um, you know, that's that's on the CryptoTaxMadeEasy website as well. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to link that up in the show notes. So if, if anybody's interested, if you're an accountant, bookkeeper, and you want to, uh, and you want to explore this as an opportunity, which I, I recommend, I think it's a, a, a very, um, a great opportunity, especially in an emerging space like DeFi to, to be able to expand your skill set and be able to offer some new solutions. So reach out to Maddie Dubs, uh, man, you've been amazing. Uh, just, you know, hearing just your story and the way you think about things, investments, DeFi, and, and also what you're doing in crypto taxes. It's, it's really been a pleasure having you on the show and I uh, appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, fellas. Glad we got to connect like this. Definitely. We'll we'll get you back when you're ready to release the next bit of news. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much. See ya. You've been listening to Wolfish on Web3. We hope you enjoyed the show. For real-time updates and news on crypto, NFTs, and mission-driven projects making waves in the Web3 space, follow us on Twitter at Wolfish on Web3. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. And always remember to stay wolfish.